I cannot wait for today's guest, but first I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. Locally owned for over 20 years, New Works has a fix for you. For your plumbing needs and repairs, just go to sacserviceplumbing.com or call the number on your screen. And remember, if you have an emergency in the middle of the night, no problem. They'll be there with their 24-7 service. That's New Works Plumbing. They've got a fix for you. My guest I have known for a, a long time, and uh, he is not only one of the best sports broadcasters in the business, plain and simple, he's just one of the best guys in the business. We welcome Ian Eagle to the program. And you got your hair cut just to come on with me? You know, you're unbelievable. <laughs> I bathe for you. I've cut my yeah. hair for you. Think about <laughs> what I've done just to make sure this was going to be smooth. And, by the way, there's the audio portion, I know, but it's great to see you, Grant. Man, Truly, it is so awesome. It's so, all right, I want to make sure that I had my information correct. When you did the Kings-Warriors playoff game this past yeah, April in Sacramento, that was your first time in the new building? It was. It wow. was. It's all circumstantial, as you know. When you're putting together your broadcast year, it's a jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm. And you just want to make sure the pieces fit together. You're compartmentalizing between NBA, NFL, college basketball, radio, TV, just trying to make it all work. And also, by the way, and, and you lived this for many years, not having one job affect the other, where you're mm -hmm. doing your job and doing it well, and then separating and then doing the other job. For whatever reason, just the way the schedule always worked out, and truth be told, how tough it might be to get in and out of Sacramento to be able to put that as part of right. another trip. I just had never been to the yep. new arena. I was blown away. Obviously, yep. the ambiance was off the charts. Yep. The game was great. The yep. fans were incredible. But the arena is is top notch. It's it's a special place. It is special. I, I think it's as good as any in the league. So I've got to ask you, how would you compare that experience? to what it was like when you were at Arco Arena. You know, it's funny with Arco, you and I spent so much time together and all my years going there. I really enjoyed my experience there, mm -hmm. but it was based more not on the competition per se. There were a few years where the Nets and Kings were both good, not a whole lot of crossover time, Yeah, but the fans... Uh, the people that you would see, the passion, and the way that we were situated there, you could have conversations with fans. They were literally right behind you or just to the side of you. My experience doing the national game at the new spot, you're jammed in right as the court opens a bit for yep. the front row. So we have ownership there. We have 50 Cent there. We have Floyd Mayweather there. The fact that Floyd Mayweather and 50 Cent actually talked, I think Vivek forced them to take a picture together because I don't believe those two get along. Yeah. I didn't get into it on the TNT broadcast, but, but I do have some pop culture knowledge. So I can't even say that it was a normal 
experience for me because I was on the other side. I wasn't getting the experience that I would normally get like I got at Arco of being a local broadcaster and going to the press room and chatting up with, with other media members. So I don't, I want to reserve judgment yeah. until I get there as, as a local broadcaster one day. So I can really go apples to apples. I, you don't have a big ego. You don't go around patting yourself on the back, but you received uh, the highest honor that you can receive for someone in your profession, the national sportscaster of the year. What did that mean to you? meant a lot. I appreciate you even bringing it up, Grant. There was a ceremony down in North Carolina, Winston-Salem, where state winners for the media side on uh, radio, TV, and the print side all were honored. Hall of Famers were honored, National Sports Writers of the Year honored, and it really was uh, a special night. Uh, Not because of the trophy or the award, but it struck me in the moment that everybody that was there and the people that I knew that I have pre-existing relationships with, they were there with ease in mind, not under some kind of pressure to hit a deadline or to make charts or to interview someone to get information for their next broadcast. Everybody Mm -hmm. was there to chill. And it's (laughs) one of the first events that I can remember I had nothing coming up. It was early in the summer, so I was completely clean for the next month where I didn't have to think about anything. And it really changed the whole vibe of the event, at least from my perspective. Everybody could be their true authentic self, and there was no pretense, and there was no edginess or angst associated to it. The bigger picture of it, of course, when when your peers vote you in this category, that that's the ultimate honor because Grant, you know, and I know what it takes to do this. Mm. And while we don't often share what it's like to make the sausage behind the scenes, there's a lot of work that goes into it to do it well and, and to be professional. So when those that, that know really know and have the insight I think it, it adds a, a real special meaning to, to the whole event. You've come a long way from Forest Hills High School, my friend. <laughs> Ranger Pride citywide, Forest Hills High School. Yeah. Simon and Garfunkel, Michael Landon, Dick Stockton. Bert I can Napier. go on and on. My, my father, Bert Napier, went to Forest Bert Hills Napier. High School. Bert <laughs> Napier. Yeah, he was a senior when I was a freshman. I got to do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, you were talking about what goes into your job and what to me is so different from when you began and when I began to now is that we are under such a microscope now because of social media and all the radio TV critics. I mean, it's a completely different world than it was 20 years ago, isn't it? It is. And I would take it even in another direction with that as as the general background of what's changed. I think the fans are more informed than Mm, ever before. So you started with the Kings before I started with the Nets. I was 1994. So this is going to be my 30th year doing Nets games in some form. Mm -hmm. Back then, you were just looking for shreds of information, a media guide, the notes, talking to the opposing broadcaster, making phone calls during the week, 
talking to an assistant coach, a scout, anywhere you could get a morsel, a nugget of knowledge, you would take it and put it on your board or use it in the broadcast. And now there's so much information that's out there that the fans are also privy to. So the goal now is to get stuff that isn't as available. And can you get mm -hmm. a little more inside? And I think the checks and balances of this have also changed where the fans know their stuff. So maybe something that you would float out there in 94, 95, 96, not going to fly in 2023 because people know the deal. They're following the team as closely as you are. And it's your job That's to right. follow the team. That's the part <laughs> that, that has really struck me. I'll have conversations with, with net fans and I'll think to myself, man, you know a lot. Yeah. What do you, yeah. what do you do during the week? You're like, Oh, I work in construction. I'm like, more power to you, man. That's amazing <laughs> that yeah. that you have have ensconced yourself in the. And it, by the way, it goes for the same deal in the NFL. Uh, specific teams. If I'm doing Baltimore and the Chargers, I know going into that week, I'm going to have millions of experts watching the game that follow yep. the Ravens every move, that follow the Chargers every transaction every storyline, every narrative. So everything you said is true. And then add this other layer, not just what you're seeing on social media, but in real life and TV radio critics, you know, Twitter, it's instant. It's very much yep. in the moment. And uh, it, it has changed our industry, no doubt. I love talking to you about your career. I actually love talking to people about their career because I think you would agree, you know, if you took 50 of us and put us in a room around a big table and you yeah. said, hey, how did you begin your career? You'd probably hear 50 different stories. Well, you might only hear one, Grant, because broadcasters talk a lot and then we all leave. <laughs> you say, well, what about, the, what about the 49 other guys? I'd like to hear from them. No, no, no. Let me tell you about me. <laughs> that is so true. Uh, but, but other than a family member, who's had the biggest impact on your career? From a, I'm going to pay attention to what this person is doing on the air, how they conduct themselves, how they approach the job. Marv Albert was clearly the person that I emulated most. He was doing the Knicks. He was doing the Rangers. He was doing local news. Yep. He was doing it all. And I just thought to myself, the way he does it, mm -hmm. I believed was the right way information, fun, light moments, serious when necessary, punch it on big calls. That was my interpretation of what this job was supposed to be. Now, as you get older, I'm talking about when I was eight, nine, 10 years yeah. old. Yeah. You get older and you start to realize, wait, there are other ways to do this. And other people have different perspectives and different approaches. And I did appreciate the way Al Michaels called the game and the way Vern Lundquist Call the game. Those two names in particular stuck with me and just how they approached the job. Vern, I just thought was so affable. And you could feel that through the mm -hmm. screen. And it sounded like he wanted to be there. And that resonated with me. If you're doing this job, it better sound like you want to be there. And by the way, not just sound like it, you've got to actually feel it. Mm -hmm. You want to be there. That's where you want to be. That's the most important thing happening on that day when you're calling the job. Al Michaels, 
just a command, a mastery of the language, of the moment, understanding the situation, and then delivering when when the moment came and having the right word and the right inflection. Behind the scenes, there are so many people, Grant, you know, and mm -hmm. you and I have, have talked about this. Yeah. People that trusted you, people that gave you a chance when maybe you hadn't earned quite that chance yet. Someone that believed in you, people you work with, you and, and Jerry for so many mm -hmm. years. That's that's true friendship. That's not just no a partnership. You go on the air. For me and Bill Raftery, it, it's it's a different level when we get on the air because there's a shared experience that, that we've had as friends, as close friends that you can't simulate. You know, I really pride myself on finding commonality with analysts and putting them in a position to succeed. And I realized pretty early in my career that if you looked at the broadcast as we and not me, that you'd probably have success because most people watching and listening they want to either like both of you or neither of you. That's right. They don't want to. They don't want to go with the. Oh, I like him. I don't like him. I like her. I could do without her. They have an opinion on you as a team. So that became a a, a very big point of emphasis for me. Of find a way to to make us work when we're doing the game together. Well, you went from many years having Dan Fouts next to you yep. and then a man that I, I've, I've never heard anyone say a bad word about Charles Davis. I, I <laughs> put him up here on my Agreed. list of great people. But the year that you and Charles started working together was the year of the pandemic. So you couldn't have face-to-face -face meetings. Yeah. And so that was a totally different situation for you to all of a sudden have a new partner, Mesh, have everyone think you've been working together for years. In retrospect, how challenging of a process was that for you? Grant, I look back on that time, and what I remember most about that whole stretch, pandemic hits, announcement comes out that I'll have a new partner. I'd worked with Dan for 10 years. Dan and I are very close friends. He is a great guy, not a good guy, mm -hmm. a great guy. So that was hard. It's your friend that's no longer sure. going to be with you, not just on the air, but off the air. The dinners, the meetings, the car rides, the laughs. And now Charles is coming in. Charles and I knew each other by maybe two meetings, two in-person, shake your hand, talk for five minutes. So that whole stretch, which was odd for everybody, as we know, we ended up doing multiple Zooms over the course of that five-month period in between when the pandemic hit and when the season was going to start. And I'm not talking about, oh, we did two Zooms. It gets to no, 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 no. We did nine <laughs> Zooms. Right, right. And we made it a point not to even talk football, to get to know one another as people. And that put us in a position to hit the ground running week one. We did Cleveland at Baltimore. We had plexiglass between us. We had to sit 10 feet apart. Those were the CBS rules and whatever the, the rules were of any company at that point you had to abide by. 
And we were not allowed to travel in the same car together to the stadium as to avoid close contact. We were not allowed to share a meal together. We did not have one in-person production meeting that entire season. It was all done uh, via the internet. And yet I felt so comfortable when we hit the ground running that it was seamless. And it felt like we had been friends for 20 years. And a lot of that has to do with him. Yeah. And I'd like to think some of it has to do with me and the fact that uh, we just went in with the right attitude. But I will say the first game that we did, Cleveland to Baltimore, second possession of the day, Lamar Jackson is running to his left. And Charles had been making a point about something and he had turned to me to make that point. And I gave him eye contact in return. Again, first time we're working together, never discussed any of this. I want to give him a little of that instant feedback, a nod, a grin. And I turn back around and I missed a portion of Lamar's play, but I catch the back end. He pitches it to Mark Ingram. Ingram actually coughs up the football, jumps on it. And I make the call, and I think to myself, man, I'm a hero. People at home have no idea that I didn't see what happened for me to catch up that quickly and be on top of it and make it feel very smooth. Yeah, I'm, I'm in midseason form, and this is the first quarter of game one. Well, they roll the replay, and Lamar Jackson had a ridiculous move initially that I never saw because I had made eye contact with Charles. And I see it on the replay, and the first thing that hits me is, oh, my goodness, I I have butchered this highlight. This should have been <laughs> a big – if it's a touchdown, it's a it's a complete butcher job. And it, it struck me in two ways. First, I said to Charles when we went to break, I go, hey, Charles, no offense. I can't give you eye contact. I've got to keep my eye – you go, oh, no, 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 no problem, no problem. So it was the first thing. The second thing – there were no fans in the stadium. Mm. And then I realized, and even after doing this job for so many years, that point was so pronounced to me, the fans would have saved me in that moment. The reaction of the fans, if I had missed it in real time, the crowd gasping, because that's what they would have done with this move, would have forced me to change my inflection and I no longer had that compass. And that was the whole year. I didn't realize how much of a, a track the fans provided for me, whether it's NFL, NBA, you know, Grant. Like You look down sure. at your notes, you look up, Yep. and now you're playing catch-up in real time. And that was eye-opening for me. So it was a, a learning moment for me, and then it allowed me to communicate with Charles through the plexiglass, like, hey, dude. I'm not going to be able to do that today. And I'm going to have to take a wait and see attitude for the whole year of how much I can give yeah. you. So that, that was the thing that strikes me from our first game. It's been a joy. He is so prepared. He is so easy to work with. He is so into it. He's yeah. into it. He wants to be there. And you can tell from the mm. second that we get on the air, he pops. And he is so funny. He's got some of the great stories. I used to have a weekly show with him uh, in Sacramento for years. 
And, you know, he tells the story once about toot shores, you know, across from the garden. He's yep. like, yeah, he goes, Grant, you've heard about toot shores. I'm like, yeah, of course. He goes, well, there's a guy in there from Cleveland and he's sitting at the bar and he's having a steak. And the manager walks over to him and goes, uh, sir, uh, how's your steak today? Are you enjoying it? And he goes, yeah, you know, it's really good. But, gee, you know, I'm from Cleveland. It's $10 more here than it is in Cleveland. He goes, sir, when you have your steak in Cleveland and you wake up in the morning, you're still in Cleveland. Have a nice night. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But Charles, I, I love that man. Um, he, he's just uh, amazing. You know, you talk about something and we in this profession, we're judged by how we call the big moments. And we never yeah. know when those moments are going to occur. And that's what people remember you by. And the highlights are played over now on YouTube and everywhere else. And they're there forever. But me personally, Ian, when I made a mistake at any point during the game, like you were just referring to or something else, that used to eat at me, and I used to go home, and I just could not wait until my next telecast or my next broadcast or whatever the case may be. Most people that watch you, if you make a mistake, they don't even know. You know. Does that eat at you? Not anymore. But there was a time where it did, very similar to you. I think it's a perfectionist mentality, which mm -hmm. is a blessing and a curse. Because in our job, as you know, you can't be right 60% of the time. You got to be close to 100%. Yep. When you're calling a play, you got to get the names right. You got to get the result right. Uh, you can't just throw stats out there hoping they're right. They have to be correct. When you read the screen, you have to read it correctly. I had a thing when I started at FAN Radio doing updates. I was a producer, intern to start, producer, eventually did updates, did talk shows. So we're talking about the early 90s. Yep. And the station was really coming to into its own at, at that point. The emergence of sports radio in general, but of WFAN as a behemoth in the market. I could feel it. I could feel uh, how things were shifting in the New York media based on this radio station. And I made a pact with myself when I started doing updates that I would not perfumfer a word, stumble over any of it. And I lived by that. And if I had one stumble, one pause, one moment, it ate away at me. So the positive of that is what? Maybe better. I set a bar very high, mm -hmm. and I wanted to reach that bar every time. It was a 90-second update, but I treated it like it was the most important thing ever. The negative part is we all perfumfer and have a moment or a slip Absolutely. of the tongue. No question. It happens. It happens. So sure. I built up in my head that that was not something that can happen. Mm -hmm. And that was not healthy either. So as you start doing talk shows, I moved my way into play-by-play. -play. I had the same mentality, but I've allowed a longer leash now. And I recognize I'm human and older and things happen. You nailed it, though, Grant. The idea most of the time is that most people wouldn't even catch it. But yeah. I remember, I don't know, maybe four years into my tenure at CBS, somewhere along the line, you are your hardest critic. There's nobody out there. Your boss, the Correct. president of the network, the president of the team, the owner, no one's going to be tougher on you than you. 
And we would get calls occasionally, hey, you know, you guys had a great show, Ian, at the end, you nailed that final call, great broadcast. And then I would think to myself, I missed like five things in that broadcast. They didn't bring it up, but I knew. I knew it could be better. And they judged it from the final call. Great call at the end. If the opposite were true, which has happened, by the way, where I've mm -hmm. felt like I've had a really good broadcast and maybe not the best final call in the big moment, does that negate the day? Was it a bad day? In our terms, it was. Because that biggest moment didn't go the way that you thought it would. So you've got to find the balance in, in both. And I don't, I don't beat myself up anymore over stuff like that. Grant, for many years, I know this, you would get young broadcasters reaching out to you. Sure. And they'd say, can I send you some clips? You'd say, mm -hmm. of course, please. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to listen, give you some feedback. Yeah. And many of them would reach out to me and then they'd say, hey, look, just so you know, uh, I really like what I did from the two-minute mark to the 418 mark. I go, oh, okay, great. I said, but you understand, eventually you have to be okay with all of it. Yeah. It can't just be, I like what I did on this one possession or this one. You have to get to the point of consistency in this job that you're comfortable when someone turns on the TV. It doesn't matter what point of the game it is. It doesn't matter what the situation is. If you're coming up with reasons, oh, no, 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 no. What happened there? You're done. <laughs> sure. yeah. You're done. You got to be point. confident with all of it. I am growing up on Long Island. My dad had season tickets to both the Jets and the Giants. And we were at an NFL game every week. The Jets fans at Chase Stadium Amazing. hated me because one week, one week I'd be rooting for the Bills. Two weeks later, I'd be rooting <laughs> for the Colts. You know, because I, you know me, I love the Giants and, and hated the Jets. But I watched Joe Namath and I was there through that era. And I remember as a 10 year old what that was like when the Jets were kings of New York. You do the Jets preseason games. You live in the area. If, two, two questions here. When's the last time there was this much buzz around the Jets? And if, if Aaron Rodgers could go into that franchise and win a Super Bowl, <laughs> would he be up there with Joe Namath, the Derek Jeters? You know who I'm talking I mean, is, would he yeah. be at that level of New York sports lore? Yes, I think he would, considering the fact this franchise – Hasn't won a Super Bowl since the 1968 season. They've had one 4,000-yard passer in their franchise's history. It was Joe Namath. It wasn't even that Super Bowl year. It was the year before that. And that was in 14 games, by the way. So that's the era that you're now discussing when mm -hmm. Namath was just lighting it up. And he was given the green light to do so. You know, we don't know in, in this era how an offensive coordinator would handle a talent like Joe Namath. A smart one would figure out a way to, to harness it and, and make it work. My sense is, you know this area really well, the Jets are always striving for relevance. That is the word that they constantly look towards, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. Whoever the ownership group has been, whoever the, the behind the scenes management has been, it doesn't matter. 
They want to be relevant. And mm-hmm. part of that has to be part of being the little brother. You're not the Giants. The Giants have the history. The Giants have more rings. Uh, the Giants have a certain type of fan base that has been passed on generation to generation to generation. Jets have a different background. And with that said, they're striving for something that has been so elusive to them. If Aaron Rodgers can help them get there, Grant, yeah. I think he is going to be placed in that certain pantheon of New York athletes. Mark Messier, most of his career was in Edmonton before ever coming to New York. He delivered with the Rangers, and he can do no wrong in New York because he lived up to his word that this mm-hmm. team was going to win a championship, and he ended what we knew to be uh, the longest streak of heartache in hockey. That's right. That's right. the last thing that, that I'll mention in regards to Aaron Rodgers and the Jets having just done their preseason game last week, Grant, we did a production meeting with Rodgers. I've been doing production meetings now for 26 years. For those who don't know, production meetings, you sit down with a player. There's no camera. There's no microphone. You usually get 10, 12 minutes with the player. You jot down some notes. You try to use it on the air. But I can't say it's off the record. It's on the record, but it's a little bit of a looser format. I would say the meeting we had with Aaron Rodgers, and I'm not saying this to, to, to try to pump it up in any way. I'm saying it because it's, it's authentic and true. It was a top five production meeting interview that I've had in my career. Wow. And that was because of him. He was so open. He was so direct and loose and honest. And that's a pretty consistent vibe that they've had throughout this training camp. He's very at ease and comfortable and his aura is such it's rubbing off on the team. Now they have to actually go out and play meaningful games at some point, Grant, and things can change in a hurry. As we know that those are long weeks in the NFL. If you lose, that's a long week. So Maybe if we talk again in week seven, week nine, week 14, things will be completely different. Right now, it's gone exactly as they hoped it would. He has been everything that they've wanted him to be, and then some. Final subject for you, and that's your son, Noah. And when Noah was at Syracuse, he reached out to me once and asked me to come on his show that he was uh, co-hosting with somebody else. And and. Even back then, I remember at the end of the interview, because I worked at the campus station at Bowling Green, and I was saying to myself, man, that sure as hell wasn't me back then. I I mean, (laughs) Noah's Noah's light years of where I was. Uh, Me too. Ditto. Ditto. (laughs) And listen, I know he's your son, and I I get all of that. But are you even like, are you blown away at how good he's become so quickly and how he's ascended. And I know there were people, oh, well, gee, I his father. Uh-uh. This is a young man with immense, immense talent. You sit back sometimes and just go, oh, my God. <laughs> yes, I do. Don't uh, let him see this. First, you. this is the kind of person you are as well. You did that interview, and then I could probably find the text on our chain. <laughs> and you texted immediately afterwards and said, Ian. I'm not just saying this because I like you and he's your kid, but I was blown away 
mm-hmm. by your son and how he handled himself. Yep. And that, trust me, means the world. The, the funny part, we're driving up to Syracuse, taking Noah to school. We've been through now two years of trying to figure out what's the best fit. Noah went to the West Coast. He visited UCLA and USC, went down south. He visited Miami, visited Maryland. So he had a bunch of choices and possibilities. And he chose Syracuse, which was not necessarily the easy road because you got to deal with some stuff. Your dad went there and now there'll be people that associate him with me and you just don't know. It wasn't the simple path for him. He chose mm-hmm. that and he felt most comfortable there. But we're driving up, you drop him off, you do all the things you do when you, you drop your kid off, you go to Bed Bath & Beyond, RIP, no longer <laughs> in existence. Hard to believe that they couldn't make it just from college visits alone. Mm. But we're ready. We do the hugs. Maybe there's some tears. We send him on his way to his dorm, and now we pull away from Brewster Boland in Syracuse. You make a right, you make a left at the light, you hit Route 81, and we're about 10 minutes into the drive home after the drop-off, and my wife, Elisa, turns to me. He's there to be a broadcaster. This is what he wants, and she says, uh, are we sure he can do this? Like, will he, will he be any good? <laughs> And I said, I don't know. I, that's the part that we don't know. That's uh-huh. part of the mystery. And yeah. you know, fortunately, he, he did have an aptitude for it and an ability for it. And he paid attention. He truly yes. took it all in. So some of it is osmosis. And then a lot of it is just natural talent and then opportunities, taking advantage of them. And fortunately, more than anything else, Grant, I know this means a lot to you in, in regards to your own sons. He's a he's a good guy. That's um, right. That's right. In this that's right. business, oh boy. Uh, oh boy. That that's a big part of it. Like you, you should be easy to work with. You should be a good yep. teammate. You should be all those all those things in order to have a long and successful career. Uh, people should want to walk into a room, see you there and be excited to talk to you because they know it's going to be a positive experience. I'm so happy you said that. And I don't say this to embarrass you, but you know, we are in the same circles pretty much. And I've never, and I really mean this, I've never heard anyone say anything bad about you at any point in time, not once, never. And you were put up here at a, at a level that I think we can all aspire to be. Because as you said, you are, you're on top shelf and you're going to be doing the Final Four oh. this year, taking over for Jim Nance and among everything else. And and I say this, I learned this from Chuck Hearn. When I first did the Lakers-Kings game in 1988 at the Forum, you remember upstairs at the Forum? And oh, Chick, yeah. Chick walked up to me. I had to do my radio show at 4 in the afternoon. Chick was already there for a 7.30 game. And Chick walked right up to me. And he said, hey, um, how are you? I'm Chick Hearn. And I introduced myself. And I'll never forget. He said, listen, you are so welcome here. We are happy to have you. And if there's anything you need, speak up. And after the game, I remember Chick in the area that we were broadcasting up top, hanging around to take pictures with a real camera, with, (laughs) with, with signing everything. Yeah. And I sat there. And that is a scene 
that has always stayed with me. And when he used to come to Arco and the amount of Laker fans that would be waiting for him to sign off, and he seemed to have time for everyone. And that always resonated with me. I'm like, wow, that is Chick Hearn that is doing that. And it's amazing what stands out. You know, you talk about young broadcasters sending you work. I sent a cassette to Marv Albert when I was in eighth grade. And Marv sent me back. I still have it on the uh, WNBC TV Channel 4. Back then on the teleprompter, the, the, the font was a lot bigger. And yeah. Marv sent me on the teleprompter font that I still have. And that meant the world to me. But it also, when I got into this business, made me realize that, hey, you need to pass it forward. You need yeah. to pass it on. And I know you do that. But the fact that you do so much, you know, you do the Thursday night package Sunday, you do the Nets, you do college basketball, but you seem to have time for everyone the way Chick did and others. And I just got to tell you, and I'm I'm not, I'm not saying this to be corny. I have admired you for the way you handle yourself at the very top of the shelf. And I I just want to say, man, it means the world to me for our friendship, but how professional you are and what you do. Hats off to you. Oh, Grant, that that means so much to me. I'm just waiting for the the last part. You're such a prick. Why are you such a prick? No. <laughs> well, you know, I was with everything I said about it, why are you still such a? No, it, it, yeah. it's it's really the most important part of all of it. And and you said it not to be corny, but my dad, I learned it from him. Truly, of he just, amen. He just made people's days brighter by being kind to them, by having interest in them, by looking them in the eye, by knowing their name or their background. Look, we all navigate our way through life. And I'm sure for so many years at Arco, you got to know the security guards and you got to know uh, the support staff. That is what this job is all about. It's not just about doing the games. It's about the the people you collect along the way and the relationships that are formed. Some of my my closest friends are people that I didn't know until I was 40 years old because you get put in situations where you travel with people, football crew, you're three days a week. You're with them Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's three days. You can't fake that. That's three of the seven days you're going to be with this person. You're going to be talking about the show and about life and about each other's lives and kids and uh, highs and lows. It's all part of it. And I think also the other part, Grant, uh, you know this, you are a product of all of your experiences in life. And there are ways to synthesize that in a positive fashion to bring an upbeat way of approaching life, or you can be the person that just complains about everything. And we all know someone like that. They're walking down the hallway towards you and you know it three, two, one, they're going to bitch about something. And that's just how (laughs) it is. I just, I was not going to be that person in life. I'm never going to be that person in life. I, I just try to put good in the world, try to put good in the world. Well, you are so generous with your time. Uh, week one, I think you've got uh, Cincinnati and Cleveland, correct? 
I do. The question is, Joe Burrow going to be I there? Know. And that is going to determine a lot of what we do in terms of our coverage. But yeah, big storylines with Cincinnati. Are they a team that can get over the hump and win the whole thing? Cleveland, are they ready to take the next step? Has Deshaun Watson gotten the rust off? Uh, everything that's gone on with him in that city, can he emerge as someone that people root for? Legitimate, legitimate question marks. Mm. Week one in the NFL, Grant, I know you go gaga over the NFL. You're a giant fan, yep. true and true. But you've been on the West Coast a long time, so mm -hmm. you develop relationships with people on the Raiders, having called those games in the preseason. Right. And you end up oftentimes rooting for people, people you've met, people that you hope can do well in their life. So it may not even be a specific team, but it's for an individual that you just have a really nice relationship with and, and you want it to go well for them. So that that's always part of the, the big picture for me in the NFL every year. There's so many moving pieces, moving parts, but it is, it's a wild ride. It's the best reality show out yep. there because we have no idea how this thing is going to turn out. 30 seconds. You, you'll get a kick out of this. So when I did the Raiders for five years in the preseason, we had to wear the Raider polos, yep. right, with the logo, right? And I'm like, yep. oh, my God, no. So what I did is I had a New York Giants T-shirt that I cut low around <laughs> the neck and my sleeves, and I put it under my polo shirt so that the Giants logo was closest to my heart and not the Raiders. That's how I did the games for five years. You are a true <laughs> fanatic, okay? Let's not, let's not forget the origin of the word fan. <laughs> You are a legitimate yeah. and that's also what makes it great. That's why we live and yeah. die with this stuff. And it's also why you have broadcast with so much passion because you have the capacity for it. There has to be a part of your brain that can go to that place, <laughs> that can right. feel it, that, that can feel the visceral part of sports and not just be a, a narrator of what's happening, but someone that can be a true conduit. And that's why you've been so good at this for so long you. because you've you feel it you feel what that is supposed to feel like even from a fan's perspective i appreciate you thank you so much for your time have a great season and uh, hopefully we can catch up uh, in person in the not too distant future all the best diane thank you grant good hair day so i feel good about the appearance <laughs> Look at us. Look at us. We all, we off. both got a cut. You know, we're like, we're, we're good. Exactly. So good. Hey, right. at least we can talk about hair. There are a lot, <laughs> a lot out there that can't even have this conversation. So we're ahead of the game already. Great right, seeing you, care, bud. Buddy. Love you. Talk love to you, you soon. Too. All right, Arm. see you. That's great, Eagle. Oh, my gosh. And we're also brought to you by Bennett's Restaurants. Don't forget Bennett's Westside Grill. Yes, in Rockland at the Blue Oaks Town Center. Go to Bennett's restaurants.com that's bennett's restaurants.com for their full menu and everything else prime seafood and steaks at bennett that man right there is a treasure boy do i love talking with iron eagle i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did hope you have a fabulous day and again thank you so much for listening to if you don't like that with grant napier so long everybody